Well, let's get going. If you could get your worship guides out or follow along on Version. Uh, if you don't have that app, it's a great app to get. If you do, just you can pull up our church name or use our zip code to the worship guides right inside that. If those of you brought your Bibles, I encourage that as well. We're going to be, uh, our key text today is John chapter 5. John 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. My father used to say, hold the horse while I get on. That's how I remember that. Uh, John chapter 5. We're in the third installment of our series, God of the Underdogs. And how many enjoyed the series so far? All right, some people up here in the front, a little more passionate. How many enjoyed the series so far? All right, thank you. We believe in feedback. Um, but uh, we just kind of been talking about this whole idea is that when kind of the odds are against us, God is for us, and how to see that. And sometimes the problem with, uh, uh, you know, getting to that place where we're overcoming some of these underdog excuses is frankly to deal with ourselves. You know, we're kind of our own worst enemy. And, and how many know that sometimes you can be your own worst enemy? You can... You can, as I was saying a little while ago, you can limit God. You can limit God. You can choose not to plug into the wall and have the current of Christ operating and flowing in your life. And, and you can kind of minimize and marginalize what God would like to maximize and, and do in, 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 in you know, extraordinary works in your life. The Bible says that those that know their God, in Daniel chapter 11, they do extraordinary works. But you have to know God. You have to be connected to God. You have to be plugged into God. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about in this series. And I want to help us kind of get some of us, uh, we get familiar. We get into like spiritual doldrums. And we have a, a tendency sometimes that these underdog spirits kind of take us down, keep us down, kind of stay flat. And in particular, what we'll talk about today is we'll deal with kind of a, the passivity you know, kind of a passive spirit. We'll, we'll deal with some of the excuses that kind of minimize God's intervention. Like, we all need God's intervention in our life. We may not realize it, especially in Massachusetts, which is a um, very self-sufficient, uh, self-reliant, kind of the, the origination of self-reliance kind of comes from this area where we're just like, I got it, me, myself, and I, we're good. But we're not, and, or when something does go wrong, we don't have that safety net, or we, or we call on God and we, we're sometimes mad because he doesn't give us that microwave magical response to our situation. And we all make excuses, though, and it gets in the way in different areas of our life. And today's excuses are kind of the party poopers of the power of God. You know, how, you know, you know the party poopers? You know, like the, you know, like, uh, how many of you ever watched Gulliver's Travels when you're growing up? Anybody? I'm dating myself a lot. Gulliver's Travels, you know? Remember the guy in the back, the, the little guy, and he kind of, I, I just, I don't, I imagined he was like that. Like, he was like a monkey with his, you know, wrists, you know, hanging real low, and he's dragging his knuckles, you know, we're doomed, we're not gonna make it, you know, and. Everybody else is plugging ahead, and, you know, let's take the hill, and this one guy in the back is, he's the party pooper, you know, he's the, he's the Eeyore, you know, we all have like uh, at different times in our life, and sometimes we know people, you know, who have that Eeyore thing, and they need to have more of the Tigger the Tiger thing, you know what I mean, like take the hill, have a positive attitude, let's go move forward, not live in the past, and, and so sometimes there's these excuses, and they're party poopers to the power of God, and when it comes to change in our life, or maybe we need healing, or, or you know, just plain getting better. Like, how many want to get better? Like, that's my theme. Every year, I kind of, I, I say, God, give me a theme for the year. What's my focus? And I try to put it in a sentence or a couple of words or even a word. And this year for me, since January 2013, is just get better. What can I do to get better? And so I set goals in different areas of my life and how I could get better. And, and sometimes that's what we need is just to get better. But there's excuses that get in the way of that. And, 
in order to have God's intervention in our life to get better, we first must believe and have faith in God. Secondly, we have to act on what we believe. Amen? Amen. His word is living and active, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 4.12, to those who live and act on it. So you have to take action on what you know. But there's a tendency just to kind of lay back, kind of, you know, like that old song, you know, summer, summertime, you know, just kind of ease the seat, just kind of let, just rolling, strolling, just let kind of life just go on by. And we don't take it seriously. And we don't kind of get off our duff, as my father used to say. You say, get off your duff. I have no idea what that means. Get off your duff. I just, I thought it meant get off your blessed assurance. Like, just get up, get moving. Maybe that's what it meant. It just, you got to get moving. You got to do something, boy. I, I remember, you know, when I was in college, I had a roommate, and I'll really try hard not to mention his name because um, these things are, you know, on podcasts and broadcast in a way. So, um, but I had this roommate, I had many roommates, so, so it'll be hard for people to figure it out. I had this one roommate and he, he was pretty lame. Um, you know, he, he, um, he had this attitude and, and it didn't, most people didn't know this because when they saw him in public, he looked like real GQ and had it all going on. He was a Calif- LA, an LA boy, California boy, and uh, about 6'2", good looking guy. Um, but uh, he always complained privately in, in, in our room about the odds, you know, how they were always stacked up against him. And he always felt some sense of entitlement for this attitude as well. And he was always mad because somebody that he'd ask out would say no, and then somebody else would ask the girl out and say yes, and he'd be mad about that. And he'd be mad because you got the best parking space in Upper Lot, and he didn't get it. And he was mad because this guy hired you at the country club, and he didn't hire you. And he always thought the world was against him. He had a kind of a victim Eeyore uh, mentality, and, and he whined a lot, and he whined a lot to me. And he was my roommate, and, and one time, you know, and I, and I, my parents kind of were, my father in particular was like, pick you up by your bootstraps, you have to work. I was working since I, literally, I'm not even kidding you, I had a job since I was eight years old. I used to shine shoes at eight years old. My dad helped me start a business. I was doing like flyers and crayon, okay, and we're like passing them out all over the neighborhood. I'm not even kidding. You had a wheelbarrow, pulling the shoes to people's house. If I did them wrong, my father sent them back you know, to be redone at no cost. Anyway, um, so I always had to work, but my roommate, he didn't have to work. You know, he just kind of coast, coasting through, and that's okay, and some people, you know, bless in different ways and get scholarships, and I get all that. It's not my point. My point is, he was just kind of flat, just kind of passive, kind of lazy, and, and uh, one time when he went home from school, his problem was he couldn't keep a job. <laughs> that was some of it. So he went home on break, this is our fall break. It was 10, 15, 14 days, something long break. And his family decided to take a risk and give him like a short-term job. And he had an uncle who had like a delivery service of some kind, trucking service of some kind, deliver different products. And, and the job was simply this. You have to take this truck with, that's loaded. You don't have to load it. It's all, everything's all packaged. And you just have to drive it from point A to point B, get out of the truck, get a ride, and go home. That was your job every single day. You had to do that for like, and you get paid for that, Right? Not too difficult, pretty easy job, right? But you don't know my roommate. So my roommate, he, his first day on the job, first day on the job, he gets the truck, he gets on the highway. He, he lived out in L.A., and he gets on Azusa Highway. It's a, it's a real highway. It's a true story. Azusa actually is, if you ever know the roots of that, it's, it's, it's a, it refers to a revival that happened way back in the 40s. He's on Azusa Highway, and he's driving along, tunes blasting. He's in his, you know, typical you know, uh, passive, you know, barely awake. I, I always thought, you know, is his eyes even open during the daytime? Uh, he slept most of the day, you know, and then was up all night. I was pretty sure he was a vampire. He had milky white skin, you know what I mean? He was just 
different, different person. So during the daytime, I wasn't sure he was ever awake. It looked like he lived on NyQuil. And uh, he's driving along, and all of a sudden he hears this noise, you know. Glances out the you know, window, just keeps on going. Now, for him, it was a little bump, but it's because of his personality and his demeanor and, you know, just the way he's wired. But it was actually a really big bump. And everybody, anybody else that would have been driving would have noticed that. And what happened was he goes home, uh, excuse me, he goes to his destination, drops the truck off, doesn't look and just check the truck over, make sure everything's okay. He just shuts the door. He said, all I have to do is point A, point B, gets in his car, goes home, gets home, kicks his boots off, you know, mama will clean him up later, gets into the kitchen, he grabs something to drink, he sits down on the couch, his favorite place to be, grabs the remote control, turns on the TV, the news comes on. Are you seeing where this is going? The news comes on, and a newsflash reporter comes in, like, you know, up-to-date information, blah, 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 you know, Jorge Giorga, you know, it comes on, and, and this guy... He's one of my favorites, Jorge Quijorga. Um, comes on, and uh, he's like, hey, we're here on Azusa, you know, uh, highway, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, there's been an accident. Um, somehow, there was an explosion of porcelain toilets. And that was his, he was given a load, pardon the words, words, word, word choice, <laughs> of porcelain toilets to deliver from point A to point B. And what happened was he hit a bump in the back truck, which he didn't close better, good or right or correctly and whatever, and somebody else put it, should have done that because it's probably somebody else's fault. It opened up and exploded all over the highway. All these porcelain toilets went all over the highway, causing backup for miles. And he just goes home and just hits the remote, and there it is. He just shuts the TV off and just takes a nap. This is how lame this guy was. I mean, incredibly, incredibly lame. Now, I won't unpack all the details, but he ended up, of course, losing his job, getting fired. You know, he didn't call to take responsibility for it. He didn't take responsibility earlier to just check the truck over. He didn't pull off the side of the road when he heard that bump and smash. He didn't take a good look just to see if anything happened behind him. I mean, he was completely just passive and just sitting back watching kind of life go by and you know it cost him dearly and as a result in our in our floor where, where we went to school we every every Monday night we had a hall meeting at hall meeting we would have an award ceremony for whoever did the lamest thing we called it the Lamity Award Lamity Award and so he got for that the Lamity Award of the year for that I just want you to know that so Nobody topped that. It was the best one ever. But he won the award, but he really lost in life. He lost respect. He lost future income. He lost opportunity. And really, he lost, you know, all up here in his mindset. And, and, you know, kind of this, what does this have to do with anything? Well, what do we lose when we sit back? What do we lose when we don't kind of take life a little bit more seriously, when we just kind of watch things go by us, and what happens when we kind of just sit in the comfort of our couch, literally and figuratively in our life, and, 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 and do we, do we kind of make excuses, you know, for why you know, the odds are against us, and why things seem to be going better for other people and not for us, and, and, and maybe we're not experiencing some of the healing and the transformation, the change, and, and the getting better opportunities that other people are, and so today's big idea is this, and it's going to sound not very spiritual, but I'll make it make sense as we go forward. Here it is. To get better, you have to get off your butt. To get better... We have to be willing to get off our butt. 
all right? And you're saying, wow, um, this is church. Yep, it is, and this is how we roll here. Um, But here, I want to give you three excuses that keep us from getting better. And here, before I do that, I want to say this. Um, You know, there's this, there's just this, I don't know, I, I don't even know if I can do it right, but there's just this tremendous passivity that comes over us. And when I was, you know, thinking about my life and my, my situation, um, uh, there, there's times in my life where I've missed God because I was just coasting. was what we were just experiencing a few minutes ago in worship. For some of you, 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 you kind of got out of that uh, passivity. You got out of that familiarity, and something happened to you. And for some of us, we miss it because we're not willing to go that extra mile. We're not willing to kind of get, get off our mat. And so our story today is taken from John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read from verses 1 to 16. I'm going to be reading from the New King James, but you could read it from really any translation. Um, and this is the story of the lame man. And he could get the Lamity Award in the beginning here, but at the end he comes through. John 5, 1 says, After this there was a feast... Of the Jews. The Feast of the Jews is referring to Passover. This was actually the second Passover Jesus experienced in his ministry. He actually grew up going to Passover his whole life, but the first time you saw uh, him go to Passover in his ministry was in John chapter 2 at the wedding. Remember when he did turn the water into wine? Everybody know what I'm talking about? That was the first time. We may reference that a little bit later. It says, um, He went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. Bethesda, all right? That, I'll come back to that. Having five porches, or could say colonnades. There were these porches where the people that were sick would get out from underneath the sun, and they'd get underneath these porches just so they didn't get burnt. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, or whatever disease he had had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Jesus had a bad habit of healing people on the Sabbath. Verse 10, the Jews were therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said this to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is this man who said this to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. Very important, remember that, he didn't know. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place, a lot of people around, so he withdrew. Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him later, so this is the second encounter that Jesus has with the same man in the same story. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And verse 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. This is how messed up religion can get. Religion is so messed up, it takes things to a whole nother level. You know, uh, it takes us further and further away from relationship. That's what religion does. They were so messed up, they were going to kill Jesus for healing people. Imagine that. That's crazy. This is, this is an amazing kind of two-time encounter that this man has with Jesus. And this happened in Bethesda. Bethesda means the house of mercy. Beth. It, it, it means house, Bethel, house of bread. 
Bethsaida means the house of fish. There's different. There's another one um, about the house of figs. I can't remember it, but um, there's. It, it just. It, this is a house of mercy. It's basically um, a uh, representation of the church. The church should be a house of mercy. The church should be a house. Unfortunately, today it's more a house of, in, in general, not necessarily here, but it's in general it's a house of judgment, a house of criticism, a house of guilt. You know, a house of you know. Here's all the things you, you need to do and you don't do, you know? It shouldn't be like that. Because we've received mercy, we should give mercy. The church should be a house of mercy. That's how we should be known. Mercy, the Bible says, triumphs over judgment. Anyway, I could go off on that, but that's a different subject, different service. Um, this is what it says. It says in this chapter, it says, At a certain time, an angel went down and stirred the waters. Now, I'm going to give you a little history on this. This is not necessarily in the Bible. This is just, there's historical record um, and I'm not saying this is absolutely true. I'm just saying this is historical records, other books sometimes that reference that um, Jesus basically grew up going to Sabbath. And after he was born, that's what he did, you know. And every year they'd go to, they'd go to excuse me, Passover, not Sabbath. And, um, and we believe that this particular um, miracle at Bethesda happened around the feast. And, um, and so it happens, you know, that Jesus did this from his birth, kind of like through his lifetime. And, and it's just like we see in John chapter 2 where, you know, Jesus is now an adult. That's the first year of his ministry. We see all this miraculous stuff happen uh, there where he turns water into wine. But before, and we did some conjecture, some comedic conjecture um, not too long ago when I was talking about this whole water to wine story with Jesus. But because we can see the relationship between Mary and Jesus that she was not... She was highly expectant that Jesus could solve a problem at a wedding and that, uh, um, that and nobody else knew that he could do it. In other words, there's a problem, there's no more wine, go see Jesus and whatever he says, just do it. Anybody remember that story from John chapter 2? Well, Mary just had this confidence. Why did she have that? Because she had a relationship with her son. She grew up with him. And again, this is somewhat conjecture, and I was telling you that I think when Jesus was growing up, his, the mom saw some stuff happen before his ministry. You know, honey, um, I need you to go get some groceries. Um, we're out of flour. There's no flour in the cabinet. Mom, I don't really want to go. You know, I'm studying. Well, I need you to get some flour. Mom, look in the cabinet one more time. <laughs> oh, thank you, honey. That's great. Then mom calls up the next day, hey, have you seen Pfeiffer? Where's Pfeiffer? Ah! And I was going to hear a dog screaming out in the front yard and a chariot's run over Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer's dead. Jesus goes out, picks up Pfeiffer. Hey, guys, I'll be right back. And you're like, Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer, come on. You know, and it comes back. Pfeiffer's fine. He's fine. Look, look, he's okay. You know, Mary looks at him like, Jesus, you're not supposed to do that right now. Keep it on the DL. So this, this whole story, you know, about the angels stirring the waters, you know, Jesus is referred to as an angel of the Lord throughout the entire Bible. Did you know that? So maybe one time on his way to Passover, you know, he comes into the city, he passes the, you know, the pool, and he comes, you know, getting ready to go to Passover, and he's going by the pool, and mom's walking on ahead of him, and he just kind of dips down and goes, stirs the waters. They keep walking, and mom's walking on ahead, and all of a sudden you hear, hallelujah, I'm healed. You know, or somebody else screams, I can see. Suddenly for the first time, maybe, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just speculating. Maybe that's what happened because Jesus was known as an angel or as an angel of the Lord. 
Maybe that's what happened. It's possible. Similarly to what happened in John chapter 2, maybe that's kind of what was going on in John chapter 5. Are you tracking with me? Anyway, but back to the story. His one year into his ministry is really what's going on here. And he sees this man in John 5. And the Bible records that he knows that this man has been in this condition a long time. Now, I don't know if he knows that because he, you know, of his omniscience or because he was there earlier in his childhood and he saw the same guy there. Just a thought. And, and he asks a question that at first seems unnecessary to me. He asks a question that seems unnecessary, but we know that Jesus doesn't say or ask, unnecessary, he doesn't say unnecessary things or ask unnecessary questions, so this must have been important. And this is the question he has. He says, basically he says, hey, buddy, do you really want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? I, I want you to think about this question. I want you to think about how it applies to you. Just last week, I was praying about something, and underneath this personal devotion and prayer for something in my life that I've been praying for is this, is this message brewing and stirring and whatever. And while I'm praying, God says to me, do you really want to be made well? Because you've asked me to, you've asked, you prayed for this a lot. You've asked me about this a lot. I was like, whew. You know, I, I don't know. And I think you got to Ask yourself a question. And some of the things that you're trying to overcome, some of the things that have made you an underdog, that are pulling you down, that are, that are, that are taking you offline, that are, that are keeping you, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak, do, do, you got you to gotta ask yourself, do you really want to be made well? For God's intervention to come into your life, then I think he's saying to us, do you really want me involved in the situation? Here's the amazing thing about this story. I, I didn't see it at first, but... Jesus asked this man the story, and he didn't say yes. Do you really want to be made well? What should your response be when God asks you a question like that? It should, of course, be yes, but that's not what he said. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute. But I want to give you three excuses that keep us from saying yes and keep us from getting better, getting healed, getting changed, encountering and experiencing God in our life. And the first one is this. Number one, placing blame. Placing blame. This is a huge problem. We come up with excuses all the time for why it's not working for us, why it's different for us, why our situation and circumstances are extraordinary or exceptional. We, in essence, blame others for it. Verse 7, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, this may not be true either. This might be comedic conjecture. I don't know. But I think he talked kind of funny. I think he was like, Sir, just when I get ready to go in the water, somebody gets in ahead of me. And I think Jesus said, Get up! Get off your mat! That's how, I, that's how I would do it. I don't know. I just a possibility. <laughs> Sir, I would. I would love to, but I just can't. Someone just goes in ahead of me. Get up. <laughs> Rise. Rise. <laughs> the truth is we all do this in some way, don't we? We whine. It's, in other words, he's saying it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. Do you realize that the number one excuse in society is, it's not my fault? It's not my fault. My kids say two things all the time. I know, I know, I know. Anybody have teenagers? Hey, listen, I need you to do that. I know. Oh, I didn't really know that you know everything. When have you connected with God so much? that you are omniscient now. 
amazing. I know, I know, I know. Or, hey, who did this and why is this thing? It's not my fault. Madison did that. Morgan did that. Mallory did that. You know what I mean? So these are the two, these are biggies when you're raising kids. But it's also, it's not my fault is the number one excuse. It's also the number one lie. And can I tell you something? No one can hinder the destiny on your life but you. But you. People say things to me like, Pastor, but you, you don't understand my situation. They come up and it's, it's like, it's like, yeah, but, yeah, but. Here's those buts again. Buts always get in the way, don't they? Big buts. You don't understand my situation. It's unique. Maybe, maybe I don't understand, but Jesus understands. I understand Jesus and Jesus understands. I understand that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I understand that Jesus is the God of the impossible. I understand that in Jeremiah it says nothing is too difficult for him. All right, so the problem is, here's what we do. We say things like, people say this to me, they say, I believe that God can heal and restore marriages. Oh, absolutely. But my situations, it's unique. It's unique. I mean, have you seen him? That's, that's kind of stuff that they say. You know, have you talked to her? You know what I mean? Um, I, I believe in, in tithing, but uh, totally, but here's why it doesn't work for me. I hear that one a lot. That's when it gets quiet in church, when you start talking about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Whoop, okay. Next sentence. Let me say this. Write this down. The greatest deception is that you are the exception. The greatest deception is that you are the exception. The exception, deception, will keep you from the intervention and power of God. Verse 5, it says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 38 years. We assume that the infirmity is talking about his legs. All right, obviously it is. But this word infirmity in the Greek refers to, um, you know, Greek has, is a more full language. There are different renderings, nuances, interpretations, definitions. This word infirmity refers to weakness. Now, his weakness was a physical weakness, all right? So you might have a physical weakness that is an obstacle for you. You might also have an emotional weakness. Uh, Paul talks about his infirmity in the book of Corinthians. He says, you know, in so many words, he says, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. You guys familiar with this about the apostle Paul? He refers to his thorn in the flesh. He says, I will, he says, I will boast in my infirmity so that Christ's power may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he actually took his weakness and said, it's going to make me more God-dependent, and it actually makes me stronger in the end. So he, he didn't let his weakness become an excuse for God's intervention. In fact, he let it be an opportunity. He didn't let it become a deception. He didn't let the exception, deception, get in and interfere with the, with the power of God. Are you tracking? So what's your weakness? You know, what's, what's the thing that's keeping you from the intervention of God? What's the, what's, is it a physical weakness? Is it an emotional weakness? Maybe it's, maybe it's um, you know, something particular that you need to get rid of. Maybe you don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're struggling with, you know, um, uh, anger. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness. Maybe you're struggling with, uh, these are the things kind of sometimes behind the weakness, and we'll get to that. But what's your weakness? You're saying, I don't know. Well, then just ask your spouse. <laughs> ask your kids. They'll give you a list if you're struggling with that, if you're having a hard time with that. You think people, we're here to help. We're here to help you. We can come up with that with you. But you've got to come up with what is that weakness? What is that thing, that excuse that you're getting? Because it's keeping you from being made well. Number two, pulling up lame. Pulling up lame. Pulling up lame. My roommate was pulling up lame. So you place blame, and then you're pulling up lame. This is kind of, um, this refers 
more to effort. It's dealing with the effort is kind of the opposite of, you know, passivity and just indifference and things like that. Jesus, notice this, Jesus didn't say to the man who was lying there 38 years, be healed. Be healed. You know, just kind of wave his hand over them. You know, he didn't have a Moses staff, just be healed. He didn't say that. He said, get up. Pick up your mat. In other words, exercise some effort. Cooperate. God will walk if you walk with him. It's a cooperation. It was a partnership, you know, and, and he didn't just like, we, we want that sometimes. We want God to just go, Shazam! Put it in the microwave. Ding! I'm fixed. If we don't hear it ding several times a day, we're sad. We want that to happen that way. We have to put some effort into this. Verse 8, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And so the, the, in your notes, you have to exert some effort to be healed. And you know what else? This is in your notes as well. It's easy to get comfortable with or within our weakness. You know, we're like, we romance it, we hug it, we hold it. It's like a blanket in a binky. We just kind of get warm and cuddly and cozy. and Just get on the couch this afternoon, watch the football, and just, you know, comfortable with our weakness, you know? And, and that, that, I think that's what was happening to this guy. 38 years he was this way. What, you know, what did he do between when the angel visited, you know, what did he do in the meantime? What was going on there? I bet there was community in this church, this House of Mercy, Bethesda. They probably had some community groups. They probably, you know, had sing-alongs. He probably knew all the songs. He knew when to, you know, kind of say this or say that. He probably knew which night was bingo. You know what I mean? He, he was probably, but he was comfortable. He knew all the people, all the relationships. And then Jesus comes along, God incarnate in the flesh, comes along and says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? I can remember uh, a woman in our church years ago, uh, one, of, one of the, Louise was here, uh, Joyce will remember this, years ago, her, and I won't tell you her name, but she, she was in a wheelchair, and she'd been there, I think, her whole life, as far as I know, and we prayed, this is going to sound crazy to some people, and I get that, it's okay, um, I'm, I'm talking about a literal, you know, example of healing, people, we believe people can be healed, physically healed. And we, leaders prayed for, my father and some leaders prayed for this woman to be healed, to come out of her wheelchair, and she claimed she wanted that. And she actually came out of the wheelchair and began to walk right in this facility right here, in this, this, this auditorium. And she began to walk and walk. And then all of a sudden, she just went into kind of panic. And she rushed back to her chair and sat in it. And upon interview and investigation, and this, there's a lot of time that's gone by between when this happened, so I'm sure I'm missing some exact details. But in principle, this was it. She basically said, you know, you know I don't, I, I, I can't. Let go of my chair, it's my identity, and it's too much effort. Too much effort. I prayed for another woman not too long ago in this church. She's, unfortunately, she's no longer here, and, and she struggled with a disability. She was on disability income, receiving disability income for some emotional issues. And, and, I, and she kept asking for prayer. Please pray that I could be healed in this area. Please be, pray that I be healed in that area. And I can remember talking to her and just said, you know, do you really want to be made well? Do you really want to be healed? Because you keep coming for prayer on the same thing. And you know what she said to me? She said, not really, because then I'd have to get a job. See, th there's this thing, and it may not be as extreme as those two things, but it can, be, it can still be there in your life and in my life, where 
We have to decide, do we really want to be made well? Are we willing to kind of exert some effort? Are we willing to kind of take action on what we say we believe? This is what Jesus was trying to tell this guy. Later, Jesus says in verse 14, he says, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Now, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And this is amazing. People kind of make this ridiculous doctrine out of this, and they try to pull a verse, eisegesis, and make a whole doctrine out of this that's totally inaccurate. And they think that this proves that sickness, uh, all sickness is a result of direct sin in someone else's life. It's just not true. But there are times, sometimes there is a uh, sin at the root of a weakness in our life. There's a weakness in our life, and underneath that can be a sin. I think about Joyce, she's ministered to a lot of people. Sometimes Jesus, when he was praying for somebody to be healed, he was talking about a spirit of infirmity. He would talk to what's behind that sometimes, and then he'd say, your sins be forgiven. Sometimes there's a root issue. It might be bitterness. It might be unforgiveness. It might be anger. I think in this guy's case, I'm, I'm submitting speculative, that his problem was self-pity. Self-pity. Oh, everybody gets in ahead of me. Just when I'm getting ready to go, somebody else goes in first. You know what self-pity is worried about? Self-pity is worried about not getting any more attention. This woman in the wheelchair, she had that spirit, that sin of self-pity. It keeps us from being free. It keeps us from getting healed. It keeps us from getting better. And the question is, will you put a little effort into changing your life? Will you do something? Will you do something? Here's the third point, keeping it the same keeping it the same, placing blame, pulling up lame, keeping it the same. Imagine me doing something alliterative. It's a disease. Pray for me. Okay? Keeping it the same. This, this refers more to our experience or our experiences. The same old, same old. Verse 3 and 5, it says, here a great number of disabled people used to, everybody say used to, they used to lie here, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. This guy's Spiritual experience was to await an angel. And in between, play bingo, have community groups, and sing songs. But they awaited an angel to come and stir the waters. This was his uh, uh, known religious experience. In this next verse, it reveals the importance of doing something different from his past experience. He had to go out of bounds from what he had known in order to experience the extraordinary in his life. He was living prior to that in the same old, same old yesterdays. And Jesus says he told the man to take up his bed and walk, and he did it on the Sabbath. Oh, that was really bad back then. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but back then it was a big deal. And so the religious people said, hey, 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 what's going on? Why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? They were trying to suggest that he was breaking the law. It was not wrong to carry your bed on the Sabbath. It was wrong to work on the Sabbath. That's what religion does. Religion takes it too far. It takes it past, you know, this is good for you. We really believe more in principles than rules. But here's, here's, here's the rule. Now let's go to an HNL of religiosity. Let's take it into liturgy absurdum. And that's what's going on here. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so he basically says, hey, the man who made me well, he told me to do it. He told me to do that. And that's what, that's what happened. And, 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 you know, I have a friend. He's been to Israel a bunch of different times. And he was telling me that in Israel, on the Sabbath, there's a law where you can't work. In fact, if you're to get on, you go into a building and they have an elevator, you, the elevators are shut down. Because to push the button would be work. But you can climb the stairs. <laughs> are you guys getting this? It's like... 
Hello, it's just crazy. So there's this possibility that for you and I to be healed, overcome something, change, get better, you might have to step out of your comfort zone and not do the same old, same old. For you to be healed, you have to get outside of that religious experience. What you have to do to experience the new is sometimes give up the old thing. To get the new thing, you got to let go of the old thing. You might go to church, you might come to a church like this where they lift their hands. <laughs> I was talking to one guy recently, he's like, you know, you know, you know, I understand people do it like this, they express their faith like that, and it's Pentecostal, they do this in Pentecostal churches, and in my head I'm thinking, I talked to this one, one guy about this at the gym one time, it's, it's not a Pentecostal thing, it's a Bible thing, it's all over the Bible, get your little Bible software out and just put in lift and hands, and see how many scriptures come up, clap, shout, sing, dance. All that kind of, it's everywhere. This is a Bible thing. And I get it. I was uncomfortable too. First time I ever like decided to kind of agree with God. I can remember him kind of speaking to me like, you know, you're going to make this about you or is this going to be about me? Like these people here aren't like high on anything other than me. I used to think, you know, these people are all on something when I, you know, it's, it's the Jesus juice. But I can remember going, I'm like, okay, this is the Sunday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender a little bit of myself, you know? The first time I, I was, you know, the first time I ever started to worship, this is how far I went. Everybody's like clapping. I just sit there like this, just kind of kumbaya with everybody else. And I'm just like, you know, this is going to be it. Here we go. Ding! Just a little turn of the wrist. I didn't even go to here. I didn't even hold the TV. I went just right to here. Here. That's it. And when I did that, everything went off in my brain and said, the whole church is looking at you right now. They might have been. They might have been like, I can remember when I was like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I had to get to the point where for, for it to be different, for maybe me to encounter God, I was going to have to flip the wrist a little bit. You know? I was going to have to kind of get outside the same old, same, same old. Verse 13, it says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Let me tell you a huge doctrine that's called the incarnation. And this is the cliff notes on it because it's a huge subject. You know, I probably couldn't do a great job on it. But carnation or carnal. You know that word kind of refers to flesh. Latin word for caro. Latin caro means flesh. So carnal is, is fleshy. To be carnivorous is to not be meat-eating. is to be flesh eating, incarnation, in the flesh, all right? Why is that so important? Well, the definition of incarnation is it's God in the flesh. Or another way you could say it is it's God in the body of a human. John 1 talks about God came incarnate in the flesh and dwelt among us. But then he talks about this in John 4. He says, I've got to go. So the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is God in the body of a human. It's the same thing. You say, Pastor, what does it have to do with anything? Why is this so important to you? Verse, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? His Spirit lives in you, lives in me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? So God in the body of a human in this story walks up to a guy and says, do you want to be made well? And the guy doesn't recognize him. The reason the guy didn't say yes is because he didn't recognize God. Maybe, maybe there's situations in your life, maybe there's situations in my life where God's 
knocking on your door, he's knocking on your heart, and you don't recognize him. Again, I think it's a simple question to say yes to this, but he doesn't do it. He gives an excuse. He's kind of, uh, he kind of sucks his thumb. Oh, everybody gets in ahead of me. Everybody, you know, the, it goes ahead of me first, and he whines and he pines, and he's a party pooper to the power of God. And the truth is, I don't believe he couldn't get in the pool. Think about this. This guy is lying there for 38 years, okay? Some of you won't be able to see this, and that's okay because it's really unattractive. All right? But he's lying there for 38 years. The angel of the Lord comes, and he can't get in the water? The angel of the Lord comes, and all he had to do was go, whoa! I mean, that's it! It's a piece of cake! Oh, there's the angel, you know? I mean, a baby, an infant who can't even sit up on his own. You have them. I've seen them all downstairs. All they had to do is just, oh! So I don't even believe. Was that good? Thank you for that. that <sighs> wish we could have that on film. <laughs> the truth is, just kidding. I'm really just kidding. <laughs> this guy, he, he, he just, he's, all he has to do is get near the water and just roll over. That's it. Doesn't it seem he could have tried a little harder? Doesn't it seem like he could have exerted a little bit more effort? Listen, God walks up in the, as, in the form of a human. And he doesn't know who it is. And if he had known it was God, you think he would have said yes to the original question? The answer is absolutely yes. Here's my point. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in many people in our lives in the form of humans. You're going to go to a small group, many of you, this week. And if you don't, you should. You really should. It's the best thing for you. And there's going to be a time in the meeting where this guy's going to say, hey, does anybody have any prayer requests? And you're going to say something like, yes, I recognize that God in the form of a human, wants to pray for me. Or you're going to say, no, 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 I'm all set, I'm good. I'm good with, with the, I'm the exception. What I'm dealing with, I need a few more than just you, buddy. I'm sorry, I don't think you can handle my problem. You know, my, my situation's so bad because of blah, 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 place blame. Or, nah, I'm good, I'm just going to sit back, no effort. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we do in our lives and we're missing the opportunities for God to move in our lives. God might be very near to us. Is it possible that God in the body of a human has tried to help you change or get healed or get better and you've said, I'm all set, I'm all set. Would you just put your notes away and your Bibles away and your papers away or whatever? And maybe you'd stand with me as we pray. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you mind just letting people around you have a moment, another God moment today? Seriously, just if you wouldn't mind, just honor God and honor me of just giving God your full attention. Just think about this. What, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? How does this apply to you? How specifically, what's your weakness? What is it? you need to get over but you haven't been able to maybe prayed about it a million times by yourself maybe you've uh, not seen the results because you haven't recognized you know that you're you're placing blame it's not my fault somebody else's fault maybe you're pulling up lame you're not taking that step you're not getting outside your comfort zone you're not making the effort 
You're not willing to move when God says move. Maybe you're just doing the same old, same old. You know, you're doing things the same over and over again, and you need to get out of your own religious experience. That might mean for you to encounter God in his presence, you, you, you do something different. You just, how about follow, follow the Bible and what it says? Maybe for you to get, you know, a, a miracle in your life and in your finances, you might need to do what, what he says and, and, and follow those instructions that are clearly there for you. Maybe you need a physical healing and you need to act, like, let somebody pray for you, but be willing to do something different, to stretch, to act, to move out, get outside your comfort zone. What's that comfortable place? that maybe you need to stretch from. God is speaking to people all throughout this room, and I pray, Lord, that you help people to get out of the lamity of life and actually see the miraculous intervention of God in their lives. I would be remiss if I let the service go by without giving one or more the opportunity to connect with God personally. Maybe you're here today, and you've never done this. This is something you've never done before, and you wouldn't want to leave. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front. But right there in your seat, you have your own personal altar call amidst a group of people who care and, and love you. And many of them done exactly what you did. And you haven't actually asked Christ into your life. If you're a believer, you just pray right now. You see God and you intervene and you, inter you intercede. But if you're here today and you know God's knocking on your heart and saying, hey, son, daughter, boy, girl, sir, ma'am, I don't want you to leave today without you inviting me into your life. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart. And he waits for you to invite him in. He waits for permission. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he doesn't care about the mess. He'll help you clean it up. That's what you do. You invite him into your mess. And he wants to come in there and just help work things out. You, 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 you come to God, and then he kind of cleans things up and fixes things. So if you're here today and you know he's talking to you about that and you want to come to Jesus, you want to make sure you have a relationship with him, that's why we exist, to help people find faith. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high and say, that's me? I don't want to miss that. God bless you. There's two here. Good. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wonderful. Eight, nine. Wonderful. Anybody at the back that I missed, I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Would you just join me as we pray? Everybody join me together. Let's refresh even our faith, those of us who are, you know, uh, followers of Christ already. But those of you that raise your hand, this prayer won't save you. Believing in your heart will. Confessing it with your mouth kind of seals that deal. You won't ever have to do this again. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says. Your sins are remembered no more. You don't have to, you just repent of your sins after this point. You don't have to start all over again. Go back to ground zero. You just got a flat tire. You get back up and you change it. You don't have to reboot the whole thing and get a new car. You're a new new creature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. Behold, everything becomes new. Your identity will change your behavior because you know who you are and whom you have believed. Your relationship with him makes you do right. So just say this, Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my savior. I, I recognize that I can't save myself. And I also call you my Lord. I put you in the front seat of my life, not in the rear view mirror. I give you the wheel of my life take control, lead me, guide me, put me around the right people in the right place so that I can grow. I choose this day not to place blame, not to pull up lame or continue to do things the same. I'm going to exert an effort today. I'm going to get outside of my old religious experience and I'm not going to blame anybody else as I follow Christ in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's give God the biggest hand clap we can all over the house. Thank you for sinners coming.